Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The smoke and mirrors are firmly in place for the last two days of the election campaign. And I use the word mirror very deliberately because the mirror, used to be called the Daily Mirror, uh, has gone into full battle mode with yet another picture of a child in a hospital this morning. This morning, it's another day, another heartbreaking image of a sick child that shames the Tories for starving the NHS of cash. The only problem is, of course, yesterday's page one picture has now become the focus of what can only be described as a lack luster campaign on all sides. There are a few questions about it already. Was the picture of the boy supposedly suffering from pneumonia stunted up? If it wasn't, why is it credited to a professional photographer based in Leeds? Why were a load of Labour activists waiting for Matt Hancock outside the hospital in question? And from the Tory perspective, why did his special advisers claim that one of them punched him? Because that didn't happen either. It's almost as though they've all run out of ideas, isn't it? Fear not. We will bring you the common sense version of what is actually happening out there on the campaign trail as it nears the very, very end and we go to the polls on Thursday. We want to hear from you, of course, because you're the people that matter. You're the people that actually mean something. And judging by what you've all been saying on social media, nobody is buying this idea that Boris Johnson is somehow personally responsible for a load of sick children lying around on the floors of hospitals up and down the country. And that's going to somehow stop him from becoming the next Prime Minister of this nation. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be addressing the class problem in this country as a new rail operator is offering three classes of seats. They're called it's super economy, of course, but what we really know is that economy is now going to be third-class travel. And we'll be joined by Times Defence Editor Lucy Fisher, plus we'll be getting a visit from Borough Market. They're going to bring us some beer and cheese just to cheer us up towards the end of the show. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station in the world. It's Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, when you see headlines about the BBC licence fee, you know that we must be in the middle of an election campaign. Boris, I might axe the TV licence, is what it says on the front page of the Daily Mail. Boris apparently has hinted that the broadcaster, which has clashed with the Conservatives during the election campaign, not least because Boris Johnson hasn't appeared on the Andrew Neil show, uh, he says it may face a big shake-up if he wins power. He's already sort of tilted a little bit at Channel 4 uh, because he didn't appear on one of their debate programmes and he was represented by uh, a melting block of ice, which some people said actually performed better than some of the other people on the debating show. Let's talk to Paul Conyu, uh, veteran of these matters, a media giant, columnist for the New European, former newspaper editor, former colleague of mine in New York City. Paul, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning to you, Mike. Well, at least we've added, added a sense of uh, drama to this <laughs> general election at the moment. Well, I have to say, I mean, you and I have seen plenty of election campaigns both on this side of the Atlantic and on the other side. This has got to be one of the worst I think I've ever, ever I've ever had to see in my memory. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly, it, it's been, a, it's a bitter one, but it, but it really is a very messy one too. But the BBC thing, which which wasn't even in the Tory. In the Tory manifesto, it smacks of a classic Dominic Cummings, you yeah. know, move, move this top of the top of the head, pull it out. In fact, in an attempt to deflect attention from the from the both the mainstream media and the social media la- lashing that Boris was getting over his inept, you know, empathy devoid. Um, performance over that Daily Mirror front page. Whatever the background to that is, uh, there was a there was a woeful there was a woeful there was a woeful in fact uh, lack of 
performance by a wrong-footed and confused and rather arrogant Boris Johnson. But the, and, trouble, um, the trouble is, Paul, though, that the reaction to things is now news, isn't it? You know, if you don't say sorry quickly enough or if you don't admonish somebody quickly enough or if you don't expel somebody quickly enough, that's the story rather than what actually the story is. Well, that's, there's a certain degree of truth in that, in that, Mike. And, of course, we also had, again, it smacks of the Dominic Cummings playbook. We had this... Uh, it's a story which, unfortunately, the BBC's Laura Kunzberg was the first to fall for, and that's to backtrack later, you know, on the alleged punching of, you know, of one of the, of Matt Hancock, the health secretary's aide. Yes. Of course, the footage showed was completely untrue, and there was a sort of minor accidental collision between a Labour protester and Mr Hancock's aide. Absolutely right. And interesting that I read this particular paragraph in, um, uh, in the Daily Mail, uh, in which which it says, uh, sources said Mr Cummings was also examining whether the licence fee should be scrapped entirely. Well, I'm sorry, Mr Cummings, and I'm, I'm, I'm not in any way an enemy of Dominic Cummings, but, I mean, by the same token, I didn't really appoint him, uh, I don't think anybody did, uh, to be in charge of what happens to the BBC. No, but but, but, but there are those, there are those I, I know uh, in the Tory party who are rather unhappy and think Dominic Cummings is rather pulling Boris Johnson's strings. And, you know, I think there's a, a fair measure of truth in that. Well, exactly right. But here's the problem for, I suppose, the BBC. There's no question that they are under immense amount of pressure, not least because uh, of the uh, removal of the free licence for over 75s, not least because of the ridiculously expansive nature of the business now and how massive it has become, where they've got this thing called BBC Sounds, which gets, you know, as, a, as, a, as an independent and, and uh, shall we say, commercial broadcaster, it galls me to see people who do podcasts for BBC Sounds getting a free advert before the one show on BBC one, so that loads of people can go and get it for free, which means understand. that no, which means that nobody like me can charge money for a podcast because all the BBC ones are free, and they get probably a million quid's worth of advertising through the course of the year. No, I can understand that, Mike. But at the same time, it's the paradox here is that the public, in fact, whole show rather support the BBC, and I'm not, sh I'm not sure that there's a public appetite for the BBC to be turned into a Netflix subscription service. Which well, except I think... they've already turned themselves into that because they've invented this Britbox thing, haven't they, which we're asked to pay extra money for, like Netflix, even though we've already paid once for all the stuff that's on there. But that's, 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 an, that's an option, Mike. In fact, the problem, the problem is that if you want a top-quality public service broadcaster... That'd be nice. ...then it, then it, ha then it, has, to com then it has to compete with... You know, with the giants like Netflix and Amazon, etc., with far, far deeper budgets and pockets than the BBC has. Now, I personally, I don't think the licence fee is sustainable in the very long, the very long term. And of course, it's the last agreement takes it through to 2027. But by that stage, of course, I think there may have to be a look at what it is, what happens. But I think the very sort of people, you know. Uh, who like the BBC, and in, certainly among older people, you know, who like the BBC, I think they'd find themselves paying a lot more than the licence yeah. fee if, if we if we ended well, that up may well be, with a but, subscription. But, but what I would say, Paul, is I don't disagree with, with anything that you've said, other than uh, your definition of a public service broadcaster is not the same as mine, because my definition of a public service broadcaster is not one that operates like a monopoly on the internet, not one that operates like a monopoly squeezing it and making it impossible for local radio stations to exist and make any kind of money at all because of all of their ridiculous um you know repetitive new stations around the country like bbc sussex bbc kent uh, bbc uh, west midlands you know i mean there's so many of them well, well, you, well, you don't well, need all of, those you really don't well, need them yeah well as a broadcaster myself mike and as, and as a, somebody who's a member of the society of editors on one of their committees yeah i mean the damage to local papers from the bbc's website etc yeah. is very damaging mm. but the same but at the same time but that's not their job is it but at the same time, there aren't, you know, I can't see a market for people rushing forward, you know, in the commercial radio world to actually produce, to, to, you know, to present and fund the equivalent of BBC well, because, Sussex or BBC well, Cumbria well, or because, whatever. No, because there's no point. That's exactly the point that I'm making, Paul. I worked for a, a, a broadcaster up in Edinburgh. It was the first speech radio station launched since LBC launched in 1973. And this was back in 2006. And basically, it was strangulated by the fact that BBC Scotland is such a massive operation and works around the clock and has all sorts of offshoots and digital stations and all the rest of it that you could not make 
make any money because nobody will put any money into it because there's already the BBC. That's my point. If there was no BBC Sussex or BBC West Midlands, the commercial sector would be thriving. Well, that's, a, that's an arguable point, Mike. I'm not sure you're going to find, in the current climate, you're going to find people rushing to invest in creating a local speech station you know, on the sort of micro level that the BBC do it. But yes, but there are, there, there are challenges there, and the BBC you know, is a big beast and sometimes an over-mighty big beast, but it's a very small beast these days against the might of Netflix, you know, Amazon... I mean, for example... Uh, and right, Apple, this case, moving into that market. Yeah, I mean, this case has been made by people other than me in the past, and they've now more or less lost almost everything. But, you know, they had no business, for example, as the BBC, um, bidding large amounts of money, hundreds of millions of pounds, to pay for live football, or to pay for the Grand Prix, or to pay for anything sporting-wise, which is being done privately. You might not like the fact that you have to subscribe to Sky to watch football, or subscribe to Amazon or subscribe to BT. But the fact is the BBC is operating with public money and they should not be spending large amounts of it on buying rights for football. Well, yeah, but a counter-argument to that, and I'm being the devil's advocate because I have some, some sympathy with that view, Mike, but at the same time, being the devil's advocate on this, there are, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, again, we're talking about the older, the, the older generation in particular, who in fact, you know, probably, you know, couldn't afford to actually subscribe to Sky, for example, you know, and whom, for whom the BBC... Which has a dwindling library anyway of the major uh, sports, uh, sports events. Yes. Much of it is already in the, commercial, in the commercial sector. And we now, and we, and we now have, of course, you know, Amazon coming yeah. into the, in, yeah, into of the course, football but, market. But, but, yeah, but the point is, Paul, if you can't... I'm sorry, it's not a human right to watch live football. You know, if you can't afford to buy it, you can't afford to watch it. Therefore, uh, you can either go to the games or you can wait for match of the day. It's that simple, isn't it? Well, you, know, you you might say that, Mike, but then but then you're disenfranchising a lot of a, a lot of you know of poorer or well, older people. Lots of people are disenfranchised from the Ferrari dealerships as well. But you can't go around giving them all Ferraris, can you? No, of course you can't. That's not. But that, that's not. Re- that's not really a matching argument. I, I mean, yesterday, for example, I, I, I mean, apart I, I, from, from being a top of the head damage control operate, operation, I, I, I just wonder. Some people were uh, suggesting that the that question was planted yesterday. I'm not saying it was to Boris, so he could get the, you know. Uh, but certainly, whether it was genuine, a genuine sort of worker making that question, you know, or or a plant, it, it certainly Boris seized on it, you know, and certainly it's been effective to, on one level because the pro-Tory newspapers have, have gone far bigger than, you know, on that than the NHS row today, while in fact it's been the reverse on, so, on social media. But, uh, you know, but well, it that depends on, of... so, it depends on which social media you look at, really. I mean, the trouble is, right, everybody's social media tends to be what they want it to be. Uh, yes, I've, I've, I mean, me... I've seen nothing from, from last night's row about the boy in the hospital uh, other than people questioning the veracity of the story, um, quite wrongly in my view, but certainly the circumstances under which that picture found its way onto the front page of the Daily Mirror uh, is interesting, if not, uh, shall we say, slightly curious. It's, I, I agree. I agree. It's curious, but but the hospital's apologies say, says a lot. No, but the hospital's I... apology is very clear. It is only an apology about waiting times. It does not say we apologise for the fact that the boy had to sleep on the floor. And in fact, they say that the boy was admitted to the hospital later on that night. He had to wait in a waiting area because the bed was needed for somebody which he was first in by somebody who was more needy. Right? He was asked to move to another room, but he was then kept overnight in a bed. Uh, so it was entirely wrong to say that he had to sleep on the floor. Well, for a time it would appear he did, but not for not 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 for the whole time. No, he, was, know, in a, no, he was in a waiting room, right, where there were chairs. The hospital have apologised for the fact that there were only chairs in the waiting room. But you know as well as I do, um, we're all in hospitals for one time or another in our lives, and sometimes they're busier than others. But at no point was he forced to sleep on the floor. Well, I mean, let's let's wait and see what what. Which I think this story hasn't yet fully been explained. But I don't. But I don't think we, that there's, there's a, a convincing argument against the fact that the NHS is in is in a major crisis. There's no doubt that the major... But it's always in a major crisis. The point is to politicise it three days before an election when the event itself happened a week ago is also interesting to me. Well, 
Politicising it, you, you, you can argue. You can argue that in fact that all issues are being politicised here, including. I think. I think. I think the Tories are worried. I mean, I'm still. I'm somebody, as you know, was one of the few people to forecast, even though I'm a Remainer, that Leave would win the 2016 referendum. I, I think you may have in, mentioned that once or twice. Yeah, <laughs> and I, but, but I also forecast, in fact, one of the few to have forecast the hung parliament last right. time. Now, well, what are you going to forecast now, this time? Now I want to know. Well, now I'm interested. Well, until yesterday, I was, I was forecasting, you know, a 15 to 25 yes, seat I agree. I'll go along with that. Yeah. But I think the, the, the NHS row rising out of that picture, and again this morning, and the general fallout on the NHS might just have cut that battle, or even possibly put it just put it back into uh, potential hung parliament territory again. I don't think so, no. Because I think the point about the NHS is that people know that the people who work inside the NHS work incredibly hard. The people who run the NHS don't know what they're doing and run it really, really badly. And successive governments over the course of the last 50 or so years have all had the same problem. They pour more and more money into it, and it doesn't get any better. Nobody ever talks about the fact that there are many more people in this country now than there used to be, and much of that is down to the Labour government uh, of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. Um, and more and more people are making use of the free NHS in this country, and that's but, but, partly to blame for why it's so busy. Yeah, well, I'm no, I am sort of no advocate of health, of health tourism by, at all, but at the same time... Boris Johnson promises, you know, cuts on immigration, and we all know that, in fact, that you know that 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 would damage the NHS, which is so reliant, you know, on overseas staff, doctors, nurses, and and also, you know, porters, etc. You know that 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 Brexit would be counterproductive to the NH to the NHS. You know, and uh, yeah, but you might say that immigration is also counterproductive to the NHS because at the end of the day, more people come into the country, more people are then born in the country, more people are then using the same services, and there's less room in the waiting rooms. It's that but simple. Most, but most research, but most research shows that you know that immigration uh, that immigrants put actually more into the economy. Yeah, I'm not arguing that, Paul. But, the, yeah, but, they, but there's more people in this country now than there were. It's that simple. I don't really care where the people come from, but there's more of them. So it makes it more difficult to get to the GP. It makes it more difficult to get to the dentist. It makes it more difficult to get into the A&E departments. You know, it's, just, that, it's, it's that, simple mathematics. Problem, but part of that, a, lot, a substantial part of that, not all of it, but a substantial part is down to, to NHS funding and lack and lack of of lack of staff and 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 morale issues, morale issues. But if it's a choice between maintaining our NHS and even allowing. The U.S. To, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't buy into the NHS for sale idea, but I do buy in, into that, that. That in any trade deal with the U.S., American big pharma would be looking to to increase its stake and its profits. You know, out out of it. And well, American big pharma already deals with the NHS. They already make pharmaceutical products, which the NHS buys, right? And big pharma is something that Donald Trump, for example, is against. So I imagine you're now Donald Trump supporter, are you? No, but 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 Donald Trump has also claims that, uh, that the America that the America American. Um, Mark is, is is being hit, you know, and because well, he's trying to make them. They're, they're well, selling wants... their drugs too cheap to Europe, no. including the UK. No, he says they're selling them too expensively to America. But we've moved way off the BBC track here, Paul. But listen, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed, Paul Conyu, columnist for the New European. Slightly confused about big pharma in America. Not that confused about the BBC. He thinks the BBC is great. I do think that some of the BBC uh, stuff is great, but an awful lot of it is completely and utterly pointless, meaningless, and should not be being paid for by the taxpayer. It's that simple, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Please call me and tell me something that's got common sense written all over it. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we've talked an awful lot about trains recently because, of course, the Labour Party have offered to give everybody a release uh, to travel by train. They've offered to give them a third off, effectively. They're going to subsidise the railways, they're going to nationalise the railways, uh, and they're going to make them cheaper for everybody to travel on, which all sounds very good in theory. However, 
it may well be that that doesn't turn out to be the case. However, there is one particular railway company called Avanti who are now going to offer three classes on the West Coast mainland. Now, what they're doing is that clever thing that uh, airlines do where instead of saying uh, it's actually third class travel, which is the cheapest one you get, they're going to go with economy, they're going to go with sort of um, upper class economy, i.e. something like supreme economy, super economy, and then they're going to have first class. But effectively, if you're not in super economy or first class, you are back with the dregs in cattle class. As simple as that. Might as well call it that. Let's talk to Tommy Sandu, see what he makes of it. Well, Tommy, very good afternoon to you. Don't cattle class it. Hey, mate, don't, don't do this. It's, it's not, and it's not a third class that they're offering. It's, it's a middle ground. It's a happy no. place. It's no, a, it's, it's not. A, yes. No, because yes, you is. know, you know very well, Tommy, if you're in the third class compartment, because it will have to be a compartment, because I'm not travelling with people uh, who are going to sit uh, at the other end of the same carriage as me in a cheaper seat. I'm going to want my own carriage, right, if I'm in super economy or whatever they're going to yeah, call well, it. And they'll have to well, go well, in the back in the back end of the bus. No, well, look, there's, no, there's, there's first class as we know it, which is, you know, the, the lovely bit of linen that hangs on the chair. Yeah. Then you get proper knife and fork, you get a glass and cup and yeah. cup crockery <clears throat> they say first class you get a meal don't get a meal i've traveled first class a few times have you um and oh yeah I'm, well doesn't I'm, it depends it depends where you're going doesn't it yeah it does and it depends who's paying when you when you get booked to go anywhere by a corporate client then you take first class and um and it's lovely but you never get a meal everyone goes oh yeah you get a meal in first class i've never got a meal in my life I've yeah. got damages, Chris, uh, the gin, gin and tonic yeah, stuff. but the sandwiches come on a proper plate and all that don't they they're cut up into nice little kind of finger-sized canapes no. No, they're not. No, no. Unless you're going wrong, now this, this. I don't think you. I don't think you've ever been first class, Tom. I think you're just <laughs> making it up. No, I promise you, I have. <laughs> I've sat there with the with the with the posh people, uh, with the fancy shoes and yeah. the nice clothes and the nice coats, and I look at them, and you do judge them. You think, wow, this is your life. This is how you live all the time. But those tickets, as you know, are ridiculously more expensive than your average economy ticket. Yes. Looking about, normally, normally about two to three times the price. So I don't do it too often. But that's why this. Third option, which is middle class, yes. is a bit more me. I don't have to sit with the kind of Ryanair, EasyJet type stag dudes who are all there with their Stella cans right. on their tables because you get those and the hen dudes all cackling away. Right. I'm not those. I, you know, when I look at those people, Mike, I think I'm better than this. No, but you're, you know what you're going to be stuck with, Tommy. You're going to be stuck with the wannabes. You're going to be stuck with the people who haven't got enough money to go first class but think they're better than everybody else. That's who you're going to be with. Hey, I think you've just summed me up, though, Mike. I think that, <laughs> if, if I did that, then I'd be amongst my own. You're a cut-rate snob, is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm champagne lifestyle, lemonade budget, and all that. I'm just like, I'm living... But I think it's more where you think, what do I really want? Also, I'm six foot two. Right. I want a bit more legroom, and that's what you get in this middle class of... So is that what you do when you fly, if you can? If they've got a sort of a middle sort of super economy, you do that? Premium economy is the one. That's my. That is. That is where I belong. I don't want a flatbed. I can't afford a flatbed. And when one day, when maybe if I can, that will be lovely right. as, a, as a luxury. However, I just need a bit more legroom. I need a bit more space. However, I don't want to pay through the roof for it. This is great. This is long overdue. Every but you know how rail fares are, though, right, Tommy? I mean, you know, aside from the ridiculously expensive first-class ones, and by the way, you can go in first-class for, like, a fiver or something, upgrading yourself on a weekend anyway, so you can do yeah. all that, but then they don't give you anything. You just sit there and you pretend you're in first class, but you're actually not really in first class. You're just in a bigger seat, right? But here's what they're going to say. Their new, um, their new tilting Pendolino trains, right, are going to have more reliable Wi-Fi. Well, that tells you that they're ripping everybody off now because that doesn't mean they can't do more... Why can't they do more reliable Wi-Fi in the whole train? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, we will have... Yeah, it's basically their way of admitting that right now the Wi-Fi is pretty rubbish. Right. But it will, it will get better if you pay a little bit more money for it. I've never, I've never enjoyed the Wi-Fi on a plane, uh, on a train. No. Sorry. It's always been weak. It's rubbish. It's always been, and, even you sign a, and as soon as you close a page and you have to go back to it to re-sign in, it's, it's just a palaver. Oh, I know. Ridiculous. Yeah, that, that, that never works. But I've got to say, there's a lot to be said for booking your tickets in advance. And if you get your, like, for me, I'm very specific. I like my forward, forward-facing seat, oh, yeah. via table, via window. Why, don't, why don't you like going backwards? Well, there's something about it doesn't feel right. It feels like, like I'm regressing as a human. You like see, I, I like to go backwards, right, because it's one of the few ways, means of transport where you can do that. Because when you're sitting uh, in a car, you can't go backwards, right? But no, when, when right. you're uh, in, a, in a train, you can so, so you enjoy the sensation of travelling Well, it's just different, isn't it? You know, why not? You can see where you've been instead of where you're going. Maybe that's what they should do. That, <laughs> the third class of seat should be 
just a whole backwards-facing coach. Now, now, now you're talking, yeah. Now, and the chairs can rotate. You can rotate the chairs so you can travel sideways. Well, do you know in America they've got trains where you can move the seat one way or another. You can either sit in a two... Um, which is facing, say, backwards, or you can f fold the, the back of the seat over and then you're sitting in a four and you're facing forwards. Brilliant. See? That, that, so See? That's all we need. So we don't need a different cabin. What we're saying is we just need more flexibility with our seat. Yeah, right. Um, now, you see, but the thing is this, right? You know as well as I do, when you're booking your seat on second, yeah. what normally is now second class, you can get a very wide variety of fares. So I bet you any money that guys like you can probably go middle class, whatever you want to call it, jumped up, yep. you know, snobby class, for quite a yep. lot less money than you think. Yeah, if you book well in advance yeah. as well. If you go, if you go with the advance, uh, advance purchase, and yes, yes, I'm sure it can. I just like the idea, if I'm really honest, it's a bit more legroom. This comes with snacks. And everybody buys their own. Nobody buys food on a, on a train unless you want to pay, you know, £3.50, £4 for a sandwich yeah. rather than, you know, two quid from even an M&S, whatever jobby. Right. So it's like, um, so you think, um, I, you know, here you get a snacks, bit more legroom, hopefully not overpriced. I just think it appeals to your average, more your average kind of person. Yeah. Now, I've got, some, I've got some good advice for you. I don't know if you ever make your way down to the West Country to, 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 to do any work or anything, but if you're ever down in Wiltshire that way, right, yeah. you can get the morning train from Pusey, which is a lovely part of the world. I used to live down there. And you can get a second-class ticket, but they have a, uh, a restaurant car, and you can go and sit in the restaurant car, it's white tablecloth, get a full English breakfast, right? And as long as you're still eating your full English breakfast, you can stay sitting there, even though you've only got a second-class ticket. So you're saying just eat very slowly? Really slowly, and order a lot of tea, right? The only, I mean, the, the only drawback at the moment, right, is that, unfortunately, Southwest trains are on strike for the entire month. <laughs> so, so no breakfast? So oh, there's oh, no trains, never mind breakfast. Well, then there you go. See, uh, this is why it comes back to the, 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 the same thing, which is like, what do you want out of it? If you really, if you can justify your 100, 200 pounds of kit uh, for a train journey, where you're going to effectively get in at the same time as the people in the economy, uh, but you don't want to mix with the, with the riffraff, then, then this, new, this new class is perfect. This new class is for the people that, are, you know, don't belong on Ryanair and EasyJet but don't want a first-class private yes. cabin on it. But a, here's the other thing, boat. right? I bet you any money, I don't know how good a Vanti are at running a railway service, but I bet you any money there will be times when you turn up to travel in your middle-class seat only to discover, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we don't have any of those seats available on this train. Or some, or you've got that, oh, this is the most annoying thing is when you get on the train, they say, ah, all the reservations are cancelled today. There's a problem with the system. It's a free-for-all now. <laughs> so then you're like, well, what was the point? Yes. Well, I've selected my front-facing plug socket seat not too far from the toilet in the quiet coach. So, um, so you're right. So that there are, as long as they, the back end of the system is in place, then I think, I think this is a train services way of acknowledging there are more than two types of people that travel, and, and let's bring in that third. Okay. Uh, Happy days. All right. Well, listen, Tommy, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Tommy Sandu, comedian, broadcaster and a middle-class train traveller, man who wants to be looked upon as superior but doesn't want to pay for it. I don't think uh, it's such a bad idea, but I can imagine um, all sorts of fights breaking out, people trying to get into seats that they didn't pay for, people trying to upgrade themselves into places they didn't want to be or down, being downgraded. What happens if you get a double booking or something and you get downgraded back down to, like, third class, which, of course, they won't call it, but that's what it is. What happens then? 0344 is the number. We've got loads more of you to talk to, uh, loads more time to do it in as well. This is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. We are the voice of the people. We'll be here, of course, for you uh, all the way through election night from 10 o'clock with Julie Hartley Brewer, then from 1 o'clock with me. Uh, we're going to televise it as well. We're going to be live streaming on YouTube so you can watch it as well as listening to it, which will be fabulous for everybody, I'm sure. And uh, then Julia Hartley Brewer comes back at 6.30 and then I take over again at 10 o'clock. 15 hours non-stop of me and Julia Hartley Brewer. It's quite a remarkable historic day and night, isn't it? Let's go to the phones and talk to Hannah, uh, who's in Hampstead. Hello, Hannah. Hello, hi. How, how are you? Hampstead Heath right. is my former uh, battleground, for my former manor. I used to live there. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's great. absolutely marvellous. Yes. Um, but there is a little bit of a problem regarding care of dogs. Is there? And I, well, I work with dogs, and so I know quite a lot of dog walkers and everything else. Right. And I know of three dogs that were, been kid that were kidnapped. Goodness. Yeah. From so, the from the heath? Well, yeah, two from the heath, or well, from a van that was on the heath. A dog walker was going to go out with it. They were in the van while he was walking some other dogs. Yes. And they were basically kidnapped to Auburn because the woman whose dogs they were is very wealthy. Right. And she paid, she wasn't supposed to, but she paid three grand each to oh, get wow. them back. Oh, so there was like a ransom situation. Absolutely. And I know of another one, and this is just, this is actually an old pensioner whose staffy was taken, rescue staffy. Right. And she paid 250 quid to get it back. Wow. So that's a yes. different thing, isn't it? So they're, they're not so much uh, stealing them to order, they're stealing them precisely with the idea of, of you paying to get them back. Correct. Absolutely correct. And uh, that's even more frightening in a way. Because, it really is. Because uh, the police obviously say don't pay people, but people pay more to get their own dog back than they do for a new one. Of course. And also, you know, it's not... You can't just say, oh, just get another dog. I mean, you love the dog. You don't want to... Well, absolutely right. That's awful. So it sounds to me like there's a sort of organised gang, uh, Hannah, going around up there. Well, you have to really, really watch your animals, that's for sure. Because, yeah, absolutely. Particularly, I guess, on Hampstead Heath, yeah. with dog walkers, with wealthy people, obviously, who paid for them to be taken out. Yes. And, um, I mean, like, day like today, people are less likely to be out taking dogs, I think. But... Um, because it's very rainy and wet mm. and muddy. Oh, but, is it? Um, oh, God, I'm looking out the window. I've just <laughs> realised, God. What about, um, um, do, do you not put them off, off, take them off the lead then, I suppose, for fear of them no, being No, no, being no. No, you do. Well, I, I do because they get three to five times the exercise mm. off lead than they do on. Yeah. And it's rather boring for most of them if they're on lead. But, you know, I mean, I wouldn't take out more than four because you want to be able to keep your eye on them and um, pick up after them as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. God, so, that's um, awful though, isn't it? That's a terrible thing. And did any of these people tell the police about this gang? Well, I mean, we don't know who they are. I mean, yeah, the police were informed. I know when the two, the two dogs were taken, that like, the person paid three grand each to get them back. Um, the, the police were informed and they're told, don't, you know, don't do anything, mm. we'll deal with it. But, of course... That isn't what happens. No. <laughs> Terrible so, story. Well, Hannah, listen, thank you so much for telling us. That's dreadful, isn't it? Imagine that. There's actually a dog-napping gang going around wealthy parts of North London stealing dogs, not to give them to somebody else or sell them, uh, but to basically sell them back to their owners. That's horrendous. Let's talk to Ian, uh, who's in Somerset, wants to talk about Brexit. Hello, Ian. Oh, hello, yeah. How are you um, doing? Quite a few. Yeah, very good. I'm really enjoying listening to your show. Oh, good, thank you. It, it's, you know... Listening to Jeremy Vine is quite um, disturbing mentally, really. <laughs> Let me well, just say the BBC. I I've had comment. quite a few. I had quite a few run-ins with him. Uh, the BBC put out every day during the referendum. Uh, Jeremy Vine was coming. Oh, the EU is the biggest free trade group in the world. It isn't. Right. That's a lie. Right. And every single day, I would post at the top of their comment block on Facebook. <clears throat> the Commonwealth is the biggest free trade group in the world. 2.4 billion people, five times bigger than the EU, yeah. and it's free. You have to pay to join the... the yes, and you have to keep paying. It's not as if you, you pay, pay once to get in. in you have to keep shelling out, don't you? Yeah, and, and they, they kept wiping my comments off until they blocked me in the end. <clears throat> right. Oh. It's nice, um, isn't it? That's nice for the old, uh, you know, the people's, yeah. um, the people's taxpayer-funded broadcaster to block people. Yeah, and I think you're quite right. Well, you know, why should the BBC get all the money? You know, why doesn't... If you, if you watch Russia today or all, all, all day long, 
why does Russia do they get the money yeah. or, or Sky right. or somebody else? Mm. You know, why should the BBC get all the money? It's time to divide. So shouldn't that come under the Monopolies Commission? I agree with you. I totally agree because they are restricting trade effectively because, like yeah. I said, I know a little bit about this because I've worked in the commercial radio sector for a while and you cannot run a commercial speech station in this country because of the BBC. It's as simple as that. Yeah, because they want to control everyone's speech. And and people should know that they, they blocked Winston Churchill from uh, 1937 to 38. They blocked me as well. They blocked me for two years on, on Jeremy Vine, which is the only talk show in the mid, middle of the day. Yeah. Uh, they blocked Winston Churchill. For well, there's five years. live, I suppose, isn't there? Hey? There is five live, I suppose. You can always go. Not that I'm recommending yeah, that, but, you know, you, there is five live. But but anyway, they did that, and they wouldn't allow any criticism of Adolf Hitler. So that's that's who that's the kind of people the BBC were then, and that's the kind of BBC they are today. Well, it's a kind of silence any criticism of the EU. And they certainly appear to do that on many occasions, don't they? It's true. Listen, Ian, thanks very much for your call. Let's talk to Peter, uh, who's in Folkestone. Hello, Peter. Hi, Mike. Um, I'm following on from what the lads just said about you know incorrect data, Mm. things going out and. And the discussion today about politicians claiming things that just simply aren't true. Yeah. I was wondering if you could help me, because actually I think there's a lot of journalists out there, Mike. Present company accepted, of course. Yes. There's a lot of journalists out there who simply don't know diddly about anything. Yes. And, and they're, they're just like, they're sick puppies in a room waiting for a bone that happens to be any old toffee that the politicians throw out. And they come away smiling, thinking they're doing a good job. Oh, I know. They're just, they're just repeating the same flawed nonsense that they've been told five minutes earlier. Well, this is the it problem. They, 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 they seem to, particularly television journalists and interviewers now, they seem to now only interview people in the hopes that they can say something which will sort of make the news. You know, like, I asked a question that they couldn't answer. It's all about yeah. them. It's not about the person they're actually interviewing. Yeah, and, and you know the rush, the rush to everything with this this ch- photograph of the child yesterday. Suddenly, only afterwards, somebody realises it's copyrighted. Only afterwards, everyone's jumped on it, and they're all over it like a rash. Yes. You know, only later. So, like you say, so here's my couple of bugbears that I'd really like somebody to challenge something on. Right. And I've got them for both ends of the equation. I'm a, I'm balanced. I've got a chip on both shoulders. That's <laughs> um, what we um, like to hear. So. Labour. Uh, well, when you look at Scandinavia, these wonderful democratic socialist countries, oh, no, they are not. They are free market capitalist countries that have very strong social programs. And most importantly about those strong social programs, they do not target the tax burden at one particular segment, 5%, 2% of the top earners, everyone up and down all earnings levels pays through the nose in yeah. tax for those things. They pay and loads a, of tax, don't they, in Scandinavia? Oh, my good Lord. They, they would, they'd make your pip squeak, Mike. And it, the, the trouble is everyone in the country at all levels of earning power knows that and accepts it. Yes, and, I, I, and, the and, they're the, and they're used to that, right? Whereas in this country, and certainly in the United States of America, they much prefer people generally to have more money of their own uh, and spend it the way that they wish to spend it, rather than have the state take it off them and tell them what they're going to do with it. Well, it, it goes to show you that, well, well, for me, this is what it says. This is the kind of narco-socialism, you know, this kind of socialist utopia that everyone lives in a drug state of mind, yeah. that we're all going to have everything and it's going to be great, and that bloke over there is going to pay for it and I'm not going to have to do anything. <laughs> right? Are you putting it's the Tories a... in the same bracket then? Oh, I'm absolutely doing that, sir. There's absolutely. Give me a second, I'll get there. Let's get this out of my all system. Right. Go on. I, I'm, well, I'm fuming, Mike. I really I am. can tell. I, I, it, it infuriates me. It infuriates me that everyone sort of sits there and says, oh, yes, those democratic socialist countries. The people in Denmark, the, the government in Denmark, the government in Sweden, the government in Norway, are sick and tired of saying to people, we are not socialists. Yep. They've had enough. They're, they're annoyed about it. They're free trading countries, and they're actually higher up the free trading league than us in certain cases. Yeah. And the big one about the Conservatives, and uh, it's, you know, how conservative is this election? 
You know, everyone's suddenly spending loads of money. The only difference is the volume of money. Doesn't sound conservative to me. They're suddenly shaking the tree. There's loads of cash. Where did it come from? Oh, we've managed the economy. Hang on, lads. Let me just have a look. The national debt when you got into office in 2010 was 75% of GDP. Yeah. Currently, 10 years later, it is 85% of GDP. The national debt has gone up. They came to office in 2010 saying they would reduce the national debt. Yeah. They, they have reduced some of the borrowings, but because we're in deficit every year... The deficit's gone up, isn't it? ...the national debt, and therefore they haven't managed diddly. No. When they sit there and talk about their sound financial practice, and it also reflects back on this whole myth... Right. Sorry, Mike. There's a, there's a there's a roundabout way back to Labour. Everyone says we've been struggling with austerity. Yeah. What austerity? We've been borrowing more than we've been making, and we've been adding to the national debt. And apparently, the National Health Service has more money today than it's ever had before. So, somebody, please tell me where the austerity came from, because flat out straight, the money that sits behind that claim doesn't support it. No, you're absolutely right. Peter, thank you very much indeed. A very well-balanced phone call, that was, I must say. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Matthew Wright's coming up at one o'clock. But before we do any of that, I'm delighted to say that uh, David Matchett, the head of food policy development at Borough Market, has returned and he has come bearing gifts. And I've got a beautiful little platter of uh, cheese and uh, various little bits of accoutrement around it. Uh, David, welcome back. Oh. Uh, thank you so much for coming. From Borough Market, of course, just over the road, uh, my favourite place to go shopping. I was going to go there later anyway because I need to get some stuff from Spice Mountain. Oh, um, well, um, thank you for inviting me in again. Not at all. And, um, well, I hope you come over tomorrow evening to the evening of cheese, which yes. is one of the reasons that I'm, uh, I'm here Excellent. today. Excellent, yeah, the, we've got some lovely cheeses. Selection. Cheeses here and a little, a little can of beer. Borough Market, oh, you make your own beer now? Oh, yes, where, did you not know I, that? I didn't know that. The big glass building where we grew the hops. And, yes, um, um, the hops then gets uh, turned into beer by a beer maker called Don Tapper. It is available at the Borough Market shop, but also at the Rake pub. I'm sure oh, right. you know uh, Mike at the Rake. I do know the Rake. <laughs> so he's uh, selling a draft and also at the Globe as well. Oh, really? So, oh, I'd like to um, try some of that on draft. Absolutely. Nice? So you can it's try lovely. it on draft and then um, lovely you can buy this for your party. Can. I'm just going to make the sound. There you go. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Specifically for my uh, glass over here. It looks a lovely amber sort of colour, doesn't it? It is the um, very special hops. It's one of the few beers that's made with fresh hops mm. rather than dried hops. So you get a lot of oh, sort it's of very like fruity, isn't full-on it? fruity mm. flavours, which will go with some of the cheeses because some yeah. of the cheeses are quite salty. So. Now, you've been quite clever here, haven't you? Because you've brought cheeses from every country in the United Kingdom. I have, but also just one, with one exception, which is the very first one, which okay. is the Libriaco cheese, um, which is the first one that I pointed to there. Yes, that this one, one here? Yep. Um, I wanted to hear what you think about this here. This is actually in celebration of uh, the anniversary of Slow Food, which is there. So I brought in one Italian cheese. Okay, is that, so this is Italian? Yes. Mmm. Interesting, yeah? Oh, that's lovely. Mm. It's quite sort of tart, isn't it? And quite whiny because mm. this has actually been soaked in wine. So has it's it? the perfect, yeah, perfect, the perfect um, beautiful. cocktail party cheese on a plate without having to serve wine. So it's, that is uh, delicious. Cheese is actually mm. soaked in Libriaco from our friends. At, Libriaco, um, and in particular part of Italy, uh, um, um, Umbria. Oh, Umbria. Uh, yeah, okay. So that's so. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. So well, he'll be there. Um, he'll be there along with all the other cheesemakers tomorrow night. So you can get to try. There's some that have been soaked in prosecco. I think I'm reminded one... of that Monty Python um, sketch. Blessed are the cheesemakers. Well, that's us tomorrow night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, so, the dean might be there as well. So I guess you could actually have the, the cheese blessed if you wish. The cheese is always blessed at Borough Market. Of course, holy cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> now the next so, one looks a bit brie-like to me. Very good. Yeah, this is actually from the part of the world that I grew up in, County Armagh in North. Okay. Okay. Ireland. Very nice. It's Ballylisk triple uh, triple cream mm. cheese, triple rose, so very sumptuous, um, luxurious. That is beautiful as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, 
cheese making that's just been going for the last the mouth, few years. Isn't it? Some mm. of this here actually gets washed with um, the apples, uh, the apple juice that comes from the cider that's produced there as well to okay. produce, um, you know, the washed rind, more strong leaf flavour. I might have another bite of that one. Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't spoil your appetite because mm. you've got quite a few. We're going to go across then the water from um, from 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 Northern Ireland into Scotland, and okay. this is one of the an exceptional cheese from the Isle of Mull, um, Isle of Mull cheddar made yeah. by the Reed family. Mm. That's lovely, sharp. Quite sharp. Sharp, and also the, one of the f- flavouring notes that I had from this here was brothy. Mm. So, you know, one of the things about Christmas is there's always food that's left over, and what do you do with it after you've made a, you know, a really, really exceptional cheese board? And sort of, I would say that the belly list goes very well with those little nuts that we have there with you. Um, I'm not going to eat those, because if I start eating those on the air, I'll be spitting nuts like a chipmunk all over the <laughs> microphone. So well, we I'm going to stick to the cheese. <laughs> we couldn't have that, but it works It works really nice with, um, you know, with coleslaw, a, a coleslaw with white okay. cabbage. And, um, nice. I find that when I, if I've got, if I've done one of those runs that I occasionally do to buy loads of different cheeses, just because I go a bit mad and love the look of them, I'll quite often maybe make something like um, fettuccine Alfredo with them and just put them all into a, like a cheese sauce. Well, this would go really well mm. with walnuts as well with a pasta. I've got a okay. new pasta uh, maker over at the market as mm. well who's using um, British um, wheat varieties, rare British wheat varieties like spelt and emmet and einkorn okay. and what have you. Really worth trying out. Now, so. what you've also got here is some rather nice looking red onion and port marmalade. Now, well, would you put that on the cheddar? I would put that on the cheddar, but I also brought in some honey. Yes. Um, some wildflower honey from Sussex, and I think that that is almost like a little bit of a palate cleanser. Okay. Because uh, some of these cheeses, as you said, they're quite full-on, quite full of flavours. Mm. Um, so I would go, I would maybe save the, um, the, 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 the the red onion and port chutney for the blue cheese that we've got okay. at the end. So and maybe just try, try, a little... try this with a bit of honey then? Yeah, just I've to never see, thought just of honey to... and cheese together. Oh, honey and cheese, fantastic combination. Really? Well, it's Salt and sweet works really well. Mm. Works really nicely together. Oh, that looks good. No, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. and this um this the, the, this uh, cheese from the uh, from the Isle of Mull, it's all they they do an amazing thing where the energy that's given off from the um, milk in the evening is transferred and then used to make the cheese in the morning. Right. So it's kind of like very um, sustainable. Very sort way. of yeah. What's the word? Uh, holistic. I yes. Well, that's what, yeah. Closed closed loop. Mm. So. And, and, then, now, and now over to, is it this one next? Yeah, so we're going into, now this is actually a Gorwith Carfilly. So it's a Welsh recipe, but um, it's actually made in Somerset. Right. Um, so it's, but there's a lot of, the, you know, the, the, the whole idea of cheese making and there's recipes and there's different ways where it can be produced. And yes. I think that this is just such a good Carfilly. Also, that I love that all of these cheeses are different sort of texture. The Carfilly obviously a little bit crumbly. Um, mm. The first one, the Italian, was just kind of was sort of solid but quite creamy. Yep. The brie obviously is the brie. Everybody knows that cheddar mm. very quite hard, and this one is kind of soft and creamy. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> and really nice with the, you know as, as again the next day to make your Welsh rarebit with as well. So and the, these are all brilliant tastes. You've done terribly you well. Look to as you're enjoying together. yourself I'm, with this listen, cheese platter. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lover of cheese. Well, pretty much any food really. I'm but. interested to hear what you think of it with the beer because I, I, I'm I, liking it with the beer actually more mm. so than wine. Because sometimes, oh, that's really interesting. Sometimes you you don't think of drinking um, uh, anything but wine with cheese. I've never really I've never really drunk beer with cheese. And this oh, is great! You must hook up with Mike at the um, at the rake and mm, uh, talk to him about wines and and uh, you know, or sorry, beers and yeah. cheese because there are. I mean, it, it it makes a lot more sense. I've heard that um, that Montgomery, you know, that Montgomery cheese that we tried earlier yes. on. And I, when I'm trying it, you know, there's there, it reminds me of whiskey. There's peatiness. That's in it that I think comes from the land, you know, that that's there as well. Yeah. So there are these more, uh, you know, more more wheaty and whiskey and beer yeah. sort of like notes that could be brought out mm. by drinking that. How would you be with, with sort of um, grilling any of this stuff? Would you would you do that or not? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the day after, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's just it after, but or even a couple of days after. Right. Um, you know, like I, I I would be, I quite like mixing cheeses. So you know, some of the Gorbuth Carfilly, some of the Montgomery cheddar. Mm on a Welsh rare bit, yeah. sort of like just sprinkle through. So you're getting the both qualities mm. of both. And Absolutely. The creaminess comes through and then you get that, right. you know, that solid umami yes. and that brothy flavours from the... And you know, finally... Well. Oh, well, now this is... This is the blue. This is the blue. You know, I normally you think about, well, just sort of like a crop old bishop stilton or... Um, it's not very blue, is it? It's a mm, sort of slight blue. Well, no, it was slight. It, it is. It's a slight blue. But try it because this is... Um, mm. Mm. Oh, that is good. 
I think that this is one of the most subtle and elegant cheeses that I've tried in a very, very long time. I mean, I was torn. I was nearly just going to bring in uh, Stitchelton, which is very much my favourite um, blue cheese. But I tried this this morning at Neil Jard and just sort of thought... It's oh, beautiful. You know I mean, I guess when I said it wasn't very blue, I mean, it, sort of, it doesn't look terribly veiny. Like a lot of blue no, cheese looks very blue, you know. Well, it's made by the family that make, uh, tradi you know, traditionally make the Red Leicester, Spartan okay. Red Leicester cheese, and one of the members of the family decided to branch out and see if they could use a Stilton recipe to produce right. something that's very different. Now, I'm so going to try your recommendation and put some red onion good. marmalade on it and see so how that meanwhile, goes. Meanwhile, while, while you're having a taste of that, I would say that the um, the Ballylisk cheese is available from Heritage Cheese, which is normally in the green market. Um, mm. Isla Mole Cheddar is from Neil's Yard. <laughs> the, this is um, fantastic. Gorworth Carfilly has its own stall in the market and um, the Sparkin' Ho is available from wow. Burra Cheese. I'm going to apologise in, in retrospect, I suppose, for sort of smacking my lips on the microphone. It uh, does my heart fantastic. good to see a man eating good cheese, you know? It's so good, though. I mean, this is why I love Burra Market. And I mean, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not interested in people saying, oh, you're giving them a free advert, because Borough Market's fabulous. I mean, you've had a few problems one way and another over the years, you know, we, we know what those are, but it's such a fabulous place to go. It's so welcoming, it's so kind of cosmopolitan and so international mm. at the same mm. time. So many people from other countries go there. It's just amazing. Well, it's all started with a you know, group of trustees with, this, uh, I think, one of the most sustainable message, which was to run a market for the public benefit in mm. perpetuity. So, you know, we have, to, we have to raise the bar, we have to change the bar and keep people happy all the time. Yes, so. and the, the regular market, of course, for, for food that you take away to eat and cook at home is also augmented by the... the, the you know what I discovered the other day that I didn't even ever know about, but there were some friends of mine came in with some whiskies. The Three Drinkers, they do a, uh, a show on Amazon. Mm. And they took me to the Whiskey Ginger. Oh, right. Yeah, I didn't yeah, even yeah, know yeah, existed. Yeah. And well, it was right behind one of the food stalls just by the cathedral. It is. It's not actually technically on the market. Okay. It's not one of our properties. But uh, you mentioned there um, about uh, the food that's actually available um to, uh, so we just have eat, a new, yeah. yeah, we have a new... Like um, street food. Absolutely. Well, we would say it's more sit-down food because yeah. there's huge, you know, loads of tables around. That's the Borough Market Kitchen, which opened a few weeks ago. Also, um, wanted to just give a shout-out as well to the um, new click-and-collect service. So you could be sitting here at your desk and you could be ordering oh, your dear. food and you could come and pick it up on the way home oh, tonight. Oh, God. Okay. Now, now you've got me, what, from anywhere? Anywhere um, in there? Not everywhere just yet, mm. but the more you ask for it, then the more people will be encouraged And do I just look on the Borough Market website for that? That will give you a redirect. Because I will be doing that. I know you will, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to good, well, it, it's uh, partnered, we're partnered with Good60 on this, so, okay. and um, as well as delivering locally, um, there's also a click and collect, so you can have it whichever way you want. And you're open all the way through Christmas, I presume, until Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve, 24th at 4 o'clock. That's okay. when we'll all be going to see what Santa Claus is getting for us. Yes. Well, <laughs> you guys work so hard. It's such a wonderful place. Oh, thank, well, thank you very much indeed. You're very Amazing welcome. cheese. Go and check it out. I'm gonna put, I put a picture out of it already, uh, but I'll put a couple of more links out as well. Uh, Borough Market, definitely. If you're coming to London, you just got to go there. It's as simple as that. Uh, we've had a lovely time today. We'll be back tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.